Welcome to episode 30 of The Better Show. Today we talk about all the good reasons to go green and improve the environment. It is a show for people who want to get better by people who love getting better, and that's that's us. When you start thinking about all the different ways that we can improve and we can get better and we can help the people around us get better, it's such a wide world. It covers almost every aspect of human experience and daily life. I'm pretty excited about building a community of like-minded people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Better Show. I am Ian Mikatel. I'm Darren Austin. And I'm March Rogers. And on this episode, we are talking about the Earth and what you can do to make it a little bit better of a place for all of us to live in. I think this is a great topic, guys. I know Earth Day is when exactly yeah, do we... it's coming up. It's coming up, It's coming right? up. It's uh, April, April 22nd. 22nd. Yeah. Yes. Okay, perfect. So hopefully this will be timed well for that, and it will get you thinking about kind of why the Earth matters. Obviously, you're all living here, so you probably have a clue, but we'll tell you it's some like, things you may not know. You know like your home, you know? Yeah, kind of like exactly. Like taking care of things. And I think yeah, the the, the big thing we'll probably be coming back to a lot in during this episode, I know I'm going to talk about it with a personal story, is this notion that it's the little things a lot of times that matter the most. And mm-hmm. it's the stuff that you just might not be thinking about. So with all that, guys, let's dig into the, the typical format for our show of why it matters. March, what did you come across in your wanderings of the internets this time? Yeah, the interwebs. Yeah, well, as the interwebs. As... Uh... As Darren said, it is the Earth is the only home we have for now until Elon Musk gives us a second home in in Mars. But but for right now and for the foreseeable future, Earth is it. And, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it matters. First off, is we all depend on clean air and clean water to survive. Right. Um, can't last more than a few minutes without a breath of air and you can't last more than a couple of days without a glass of water. And so, you know, having those things both be uh, plentiful and clean is very important. And there's projections by the UN that water demand is going to increase uh, between 20, 2000 and uh, 2050 by 55%. So it's going to go up by half. And we're already using pretty much all of the fresh water that's currently available. So we're going to have to be very thoughtful about how we do that efficiently and probably develop some new technologies to help us along the way, as well as manage the resources we have now. Can I ask a quick question on that? This yeah. is going to, this is a a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it because there's probably somebody listening who may be wondering the same thing. I know that we make lots of foods these days and we can mm-hmm. kind of do that. Like we growing can... agriculture and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can we artificially make water? So I know like there's an abundance of salt water and the issue is we need yeah. fresh water to kind of drink. And there's a lot of like yes. purification stuff for salt yeah, water. Desalination. So I'm, yeah. I'm not talking about that. I mean like from... Like a molecular Hydrogen level, can we just make? Oxygen. Yeah, can we make water? Yeah, you, you, uh, you can as a as a byproduct of a combustion reaction between hydrogen and oxygen. A, fu- a fuel cell vehicle, as a matter of fact. Yeah, the challenge is is that the energy requirements to get the oxygen and the hydrogen because they don't just float around in that state normally is extremely high, and the most common way to get hydrogen and oxygen is to crack water molecules. Electrolysis, um, actually. So yeah. that, yes. So that's where that's you would need in order to get all the hydrogen and oxygen you would need to make water. You need to start with a bunch of water. Now you could start. That's right. 
with with salt water and two the two real common ways of getting uh, fresh water out of salt water are desalination um, mm -hmm. and uh, and cracking the molecules and then recombining them but uh, and both of those things are done they're just the the sheer volume of water that you get from those processes versus the amount of energy and even in the case of desalinization the amount of space that you need are not particularly scalable okay mm. okay yeah all right, sorry to yeah. derail us. Go, go, no, go no, for no, it. No, 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 no. Actually, it's a question it that scientists have been yeah. asking for a long time because we've it, got so yeah. much water here and you can right. get hydrogen out of it, you can get oxygen out of it, and you can combine the two to get water, but it just does, it just does take a lot of energy. The, the, the math just doesn't work, unfortunately, right now. Yeah. It is possible that if we got very, very good at harnessing energy from the sun, either in the form of heat or really efficient on large-scale solar panels, that we would have more energy than we have water and we could solve one problem with the other mm. but that's not also yet. a long way off yeah, yeah not yet okay okay so on the uh so that's clean water on clean air you know we did in 2012 for example there was three million people worldwide died from air pollution related health effects so it's a very serious and wide-scale thing that's crazy um yeah and and of those three million a million of them were in in china which has some of the worst pollution in the world. Not the worst. I thought it actually had the worst pollution in the world, but uh, air pollution. But uh, several countries in uh, Eastern Europe and the Middle East have worse air pollution. I had heard, I don't know if it's true, but I remember reading something about the fact that some European countries actually get the worst of it because of where they're located and the, and the way the winds move, that mm -hmm. a lot of the pollution blows over them from places like China. And then there, it just sits stagnant there. And so they're not even generating that pollution in the air. It's just coming from elsewhere. Did you, right, did you yeah. see anything about that? Uh, yeah. So there's a combination of things. There is, there is all, you know, the local generation of, uh, of pollution, mostly through industry and power generation, burning mm -hmm. coal, things like that. But yeah, the, the, some of the gases, not necessarily some of the, the particulates that are, you would think of as like smog, but things like chemicals that convert into various forms of acid like hydrochloric acid and nitric acid float up very high into the stratosphere and then they move around on these global currents. Mm. So things like, you know, things that the greenhouse gases and and things that create acids do have this very global effect, even if the particulate um, pollution tends to be more local. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But it is, I mean, what it, what it brings up, and I, you're bringing up a great point is that when we think about this stuff you know we have to we can't think about it at a, a national level we have to think about it at a global level because we all we share one single continuous biome you know in, in terms of clean air and clean water someone else polluting water on the far side of the world or polluting air on the far side of the world will have a direct impact on you and your children so we sort of have to be all in it together yeah that's um, a really good point so that's that's water and air. The, another thing that we have to care about that we get from the environment a lot is arable land, which is uh, farmland to grow food. And through habitat changing, basically deforestation and some climate change, uh, the earth has lost about a third of its arable land in the past 40 years. Wow. Um, a third. Isn't that crazy? A third. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that one's pretty bad. That one's probably going to come bite us in the next 40, 50 years. We're going to have a food crunch. Uh, mm. And even though the the population problem uh, that was concern you know concerning in the mid middle of the 20th century, there was this sense that the uh, population of the Earth was going to continue to grow, and they called it the population bomb, and that everybody was going to starve. Right. Um, that seems that seems not to be 
the case. We're, we're probably going to stabilize the Earth's population. There's a couple of different projections and, and, and the scale of it, it's hard to estimate, but somewhere between 10 and 13 billion people. Mm. Um, and then we'll probably stop. Then, then our, our death rate will equal our birth rate. And a lot of that has just got to do with rich people. And, and by rich, I mean like middle class in the US is rich globally, have fewer kids. And so as everybody's sort of economic well-being rises, the number of children being being born just naturally will go down. So we, but that is, you know, that's potentially at the high end is twice as many people who are, are almost twice as many people are alive now and we've got to feed them all. So we have to be really thoughtful about arable land and how we manage that resource of, uh, particularly of soil. And then the last one then sort of in, in terms of like why it, it's out of self-interest matters to us is biodiversity really helps sustain ecosystems. So, you know, the United Nations estimates that annual global economic losses due to deforestation and land degradation alone, which is just people, you know, say taking a forest and turning it into a farm, the impact of that is somewhere between 2 and $4.5 trillion. And that's an estimate from 10 years ago. So it's going to be higher now. Wow. Um, at, yeah. So basically, you know, a, a very small example is bees. So large scale farming and the use of pesticides has started to cause bee colony collapse, which is the the number of bees in the world has, has gone down by 90 percent in the last That's 10 years. That's the terrifying thing. I mean, to me, the whole idea of the of bee colony collapse is terrifying yeah. because it has this domino effect across the whole it, agriculture value chain. Exactly. And you might you might wonder, you know, well, well, I mean, that's sad that all those bees are going away, but why does it why does it matter to us? And the fact is, is that about half of all of the plants that we grow for food are pollinated by bees. And if they're not pollinated by bees, then they're not going to grow at all. So if you'd ever like to eat an apple again, or a peach, or... Or an uh, almond, actually. An almond. Or an the, almond. The, the entire right. almond crop in California is highly, highly dependent on transient bees. So there's an entire yeah. industry of of beekeepers that will truck their bees out to California for the almond crop, and they do it annually. It's like a migration. Yeah, it's it's kind totally. of fascinating. I don't know, guys. It just sounds like a whole industry that's ready to boom in terms of little micro drones that can you know do all the pollination for us. Uh, wow. Look at this opportunity. I had you know, not uh, thought about that. Do you know that. Black Mirror? Have you do you watch Black Mirror? I do. The, yeah. The, that 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 was a Black Mirror episode. Oh, oh wow. really? They replaced the, the they drones. Had the, uh, they had the artificial bees doing all the pollination. See? No kidding! Okay. I haven't seen yeah. that episode. I have to watch. I gotta check that out. We'll yeah. put a link to it in the show notes, and I'll use the show notes yeah. to actually populate my Netflix. <laughs> there you <Cute>. go. <laughs> so, but now, so the, those are all the reasons why you should care if you were solely just thinking about self-interest, right? Like you, you, you need clean air and clean water to survive. You need farms to have arable land so you can eat and your family can eat. And biodiversity is, you know, because we live in this very complex uh, interdependent ecosystem, you need in general for the ecosystem to be healthy so that everything else works for you. Beyond right. that, scientists are calling the era that we live in now the Anthropocene, which means the sort of human era, because we are the first species in a very long time to have the kind of global scale impact that we're having. And it generally, because of the scope and scale of the rate of extinction of species, we're sort of in the sixth great extinction in the world's history. Hmm. You know, the last one was about 160 million years ago, and it was the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are having an impact on the planet equivalent to an asteroid striking the world and eradicating, you know, 80% of the species. But just a lot slower. Yeah, a lot slower. I mean, arguably not that much slower because, you know, we've managed to do it in about 150 years. 
where mm-hmm. some of the previous extinction events took you know a hundred thousand years but yes slower than it than an asteroid but yeah. you know with great power i'm i'm a I'm a fan of Spider-Man and and his <laughs> motto is with great power comes great responsibility. And I I think, I personally think that we should be doing something to take responsibility and some sort of accountability for what's going on in the world beyond just what's, what's in it for us. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And there's been a growing movement and awareness of that since the 60s and 70s. Absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a problem when it comes to pollution in general. It's actually discussed in economics classes. And I think there's a term for it that I'm not, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But the idea that in economics, people act in self-interest. But when you're dealing with something that is sort of like pollution, whether it's, you know, polluting the air, the water or whatever... It has very little direct impact on an individual, but it has a large impact on the community as a whole. And so there's mm. a it's there's a there's a defined economic challenge in how you approach these sorts of things. It, it's sort of is an that, interesting, you know, is that the, the of tragedy of the commons? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think that's right. That is, I think that's yeah. the the term that they've used for it. Yeah, they, I I think they used to model it off you know small towns and villages in. In England, they would have these, you know, central areas called the commons that was just basically a field in the middle of the village. Right. It sort of belonged to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, people would come and they'd graze their sheep on the on the commons. But because it didn't belong to just that person, they didn't really care whether the the uh, the sheep grazed too much. And so there was this, you know, no one was really clear whose problem it was to solve. But at the right. end of the day, all of it's, the grass was dead and no exactly. one could graze their sheep anymore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as a transition moment between the why does it matter into the personal experience, I had a question for both of you guys related mm. to this sort of, you know, human impact on the world. What is your favorite animal? So let's start with you, Darren. So my favorite animal is the moon jellyfish. I have always mm. been fascinated. So first of all, I guess a little bit, it's a little bit of background on me. I love public aquariums. I absolutely will go out of my way if I'm visiting a city to go and visit whatever the aquarium is. They've got a wonderful one in in Atlanta where I moved where I lived previously to Seattle. Seattle's got an okay one, but from a I guess the, from as early as I can remember having gone to an aquarium, going to the Moon Jellyfish exhibit is just fascinating to me. And you asked me why I liked mm-hmm. the Moon Jellyfish. I think there's a few different reasons, right? Number one, they're very amazingly simple creatures. They're 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 completely transparent. You can see all of their uh, structure of their body and their internal organs and everything. They're co- completely transparent, very simple, very elegantly sort of beautiful in the way they look. And they're absolutely mm-hmm. stunning when you light them up. And they sort of just sit there and float in this amazing state of bliss. It just appears like they're just such a peaceful creature. So that's my favorite <laughs> animal, the moon jellyfish. Very cool. The Oriella cool. orita. That's right. Ooh. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Wow, you pulled that out. I like it. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, Ian, how about you? Uh, I, I feel so... Uh, Darren had this elegant reasoning, and mine's a giraffe because <laughs> I'm short and they're tall, and they seem really friendly. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all about... I that's it. all apparently, I got. Apparently, they are really friendly while giraffes. I, I'm a fan of giraffes as well. Um, giraffes my favorite are great. kind of animal... They are... My, my kind of favorite animal is uh, frogs. And uh, I just love they they have this you know very transformative uh, life cycle. They go through multiple stages of 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 pretty radical transformation. They can transition between air and water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so much variety and diversity in how they look. It's just that they've always really appealed to me. 
So just to ground us what we're talking about and the impact of the Anthropocene in things that we care about personally, I thought I thought it would be interesting. Oh, I, I asked you guys before the show. Mm-hmm. So here's a little bit of I know Anthropocene where you're going with this. You're impact. gonna have to press yeah. us, aren't you? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. let's start with the moon jellyfish. So it's not actually an endangered species right now, which is great. Um, Rock on. The, the challenge is is that uh, ocean temperatures are rising um, due yeah. to climate change. Mm-hmm. And as they rise higher and higher, the moon jellyfish are going to migrate away from the tropics, which is where they primarily live, to the north right. and to the south, to cooler waters. Oh. Um, They'll head up here gonna, to the northwest. They will. Unfortunately, the animals that rely on them to survive won't. And so it's going to disrupt the larger oh. ecosystems. And so uh, jellyfish are, are a large food source for tuna, swordfish, and sea turtles, all of which will probably see their populations negatively impacted mm. uh, because the jellyfish are going to migrate away and they're not going to be there to be tasty jelly snacks. To, uh, tasty to those big jelly fish. snacks. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, this sounds like um, a reference to gummy bears. Mm. It is. It is. So, so uh, in, a little bit later, we'll talk about what what we and our listeners can do to try and reduce our carbon footprint to sort of try and control that increasing temperature. So maybe uh, those jellyfish can stay hanging out in the tropics. Yeah, let's save the jellyfish. Let's save the jellyfish and all of the people who eat them. I used to keep um, jellyfish. I had a I had a little moon jellyfish tank. We'll, we'll I'll yeah. put a link to the show notes on where you can buy that too if you're interested. Ha- have you ever eaten one? No. I have not no. eaten a jellyfish. Can you eat moon jelly? Oh wait, I have. I've not eaten a moon jellyfish. I think I've had jellyfish in Korea. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. can eat some of them. It's yeah. pretty good, actually. Uh, okay, Ian, are you are you emotionally prepared to learn about the giraffe? <laughs> not at all? Yeah, <laughs> let's hear me. about the giraffe, and then later right. I'm going to ask okay. Ian if he's eaten a giraffe. <laughs> so this happened. This happened very quietly. I didn't know this was the case until I looked it up, uh, and apparently that's it's the giraffe just isn't. A sort of a headline worthy enough animal that to, for this to be what? widely known but in 2016 it moved to the uh the vulnerable status list by the international union of conservation mm. of nature who, who are the people who run the endangered species list and that means that the animal faces extinction in the wild in the medium-term future if nothing's done to minimize the threats and so the wow. population of wild giraffes has dropped about 40 percent in the last 15 years and what? there's fewer of 80,000 of them wow left. The main reason of that is that uh, their habitat has been disrupted. Not only has it been made smaller, but the, there's this problem that happens where the habitats sort of get broken into these little islands, you know, where there's cities or agriculture happening in between their roaming areas. Mm-hmm. And so especially for herd animals, then they get stuck, right? They get trapped in one of these islands, which is a much smaller area, and they don't they don't cross over into any of the other territories. And the other reason, which apparently is sort of it was very sad when I learned this, a giraffe poaching is on the rise because yeah, I remember a, reading about a, that. There's a belief, an erroneous belief, that uh, the bone marrow of giraffes can cure AIDS in certain sub-Saharan African countries, which is not true. But it's it's basically creating a sort of like a fake medicine economy based on poaching mm. giraffes, and giraffes are protected in most countries like where the, they grow. Like the rhino horn, rhino horns are yeah, the same exactly. way, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit of a bummer. But I, I know that earlier you mentioned, Ian, that you would love to own a giraffe. I have always said if it was legal, I would love to have a pet giraffe. Right. Well, it is legal in the state of Washington. It's not legal in many other states in the U.S. I don't know about that. But you, you are allowed to own a giraffe here. Are you serious? But, <laughs> it's like yeah, a little micro I, giraffe, I, you know, like if a you're dwarf gonna do giraffe. It, 
<laughs> like that's right, a bonsai giraffe. Um, <laughs> yeah, bonsai giraffe. You but know? Uh, if you're going to do it, I want you to do it responsibly. So there's a couple of things that you're going to have to put on your shopping list that I okay. a lot, go a lot of vegetables. So, <laughs> so, so first off, gi giraffes are herd animals, and they get really sad and really lonely if they're on their own. So you're going to need a minimum of four giraffes. Jeez. Oh, okay. Um, now they cost between forty and eighty thousand dollars each. So you know, maybe maybe not uh, inclusive. You're going to have to sell costs, the Tesla. Right? Uh, yeah. And not including any of the transportation costs. Yeah, yeah. So the second one is that each, uh, for the enclosure that you're going to need for each giraffe, the minimum size is about 16,000 square feet or, or a third of an acre per animal. Um, mm. So you're going to need about an acre and a half of, of, of good land. They're also going to need housing because they're tropical animals. And so anytime the temperature drops below about 10 degrees Celsius, you're going to need to put them in a nice warm place. And that happens a lot in the Seattle uh, mm. and Pacific Northwest. So that those houses have to be large enough for them to each have a pen of their own to lie down or stand up. So and you know giraffes are tall, so it's gonna have to be a tall building. Yeah, um, yeah. you're gonna have to cut the roof out of that one. You're gonna need about twenty kilograms of food per giraffe per day. Now it's not expensive, but you're just gonna have to arrange for that to be delivered to, I guess, your apartment in Redmond. Yeah. Okay. Uber yeah. Eats. Yeah, yeah. That's Uber Eats. That's right. <laughs> And uh, and then obviously it's all the health costs and the, you know keeping them you have to check their hooves every day things like that and uh, and weigh them and stuff. But uh, and a giraffe in captivity will last about uh, live about thirty five to forty years. Wow. So, oh, okay. So, so you're in I, for a I mean commitment. it's totally doable. It's totally doable. But but just so this you, is promising. You know what you're 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 in for. I think two of them easy you'll fit into your. You should invent a shrink ray. That's my recommendation. Yeah, I think that's totally. the most practical route. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I feel like Wonka I have a lot to go on Wonka and I need to go like do some research right. and I'll figure out, you know, the best route forward here. But uh, mm -hmm. I, it, you know, it's legal. That's the first and most that important is, step. That is the most important step. Yeah. Okay. You can, you can own a giraffe sanctuary. So wow. now uh, the alternative approach is just buy a membership to the Seattle Zoo. You can go over there and visit them anytime. Uh, that is true. But I can't ride them. Well, how about, okay, so now you have to become a donor, a pretty heavy donor, heavily donor, I think. That's what I'm saying. At this point, I should just have, have some around my own land, and, and then I can ride them, and they can get me into places I can't reach. It'll be great. Are you are you going to, like, have a little saddle? Are you going bareback on these? How, what are you envisioning when you're riding the giraffe? I'm thinking, like, Uber giraffe. Oh, an Uber app. giraffe. There's an app yeah. for that. Like, you know you're, how people... You're going to monetize the giraffes? Yes, exactly. Why I got to pay not? for all this stuff you just said I need to buy, Marsh. No, you do. You do. Totally. Actually, that's 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 a great business. Yeah, you can yeah. have they'll be very brands. They'll be very well maintained, very happy. They'll be great. They'll, they'll have a union. All four of them will be that's unionized good. together. Yeah. Uh, okay, would, uh, so <laughs> thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> you're um, welcome. So I think it's really important to do what we always do and take this to a personal level. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, at a global scale, we get why it matters now. And we're all connected. And even the animals we all love are going to be affected by other things. But individually, what are whatever experience has been like? I'm kind of curious, Darren, to start with, you know, growing up, were you were you thinking about this? Or was it something more as an adult that you came more yeah. aware of? Like, how did it evolve for you? Or, and what's your I... kind of philosophy on it? Uh, you know, I was a little science geek, so I spent a lot of time thinking about different problems like this. I also went through a phase where I was pretty rabid into like Greenpeace and eco-conscious and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I've kind of mellowed out and been a bit more reasonable about the approach to things. I think that as an adult, I realized that there's economic solutions to try to get people to do what you want them to do. But anyway, I went through a period of time where I really thought about these problems and one of the things I did, I remember when I was pretty young, I was fascinated with the idea of using solar energy to purify water. Like we were talking about this earlier. Like you asked the question, yeah. of, 
you know, how do you purify water? And for whatever reason, I had this idea that what, what would you do if you were shipwrecked, right? If you were, if you, if, if the ship went down and you were in a little, a little dinghy, what were you going to do for water? Because as March correctly said, you can only go, what is it? Three days March without, uh, mm-hmm. water. Yeah. So I, I kind of sketched out this, this portable inflatable desalination kit where it had this sort of black dish. First of all, you'd blow it up. It's inflatable. So it's think about it like a beach ball with this black dish inside, but it's clear and you would pour water into the top and it would land in the, in the, the black dish and the sun would come through, evaporate the water out of the dish, collect on the, the, the top surface of the inflatable beach ball and then roll down into a collection chamber. And there was a straw where you could just sip right out of, of the, the, the little, uh, reservoir. So that sounds I, awesome. I, I was, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Right. And I, I was, I was like, I was all prepared to like, you know, patent it and everything, but I was sort of too young to figure out how to do any of that. I never did anything with it. And I'm sure somebody's already invented it by now. And that's great. But I remember doing that as a kid. It was fun. That's super I cool. I don't know that that has been, I've never heard of that before. That's like, <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. Idea. Well, Darren, you have one week before attorneys. the podcast publishes. So yeah, there here we go. <laughs> it's days. out in the public. If there's any patent attorneys that are, that are listeners, listening, uh, drop yeah. us a note at hi at bettershow.io. <laughs> This week's episode sponsored by LegalZoom.com. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Ian here. Hope you're enjoying this episode. Uh, a quick break to talk about the only sponsor for this episode, which is actually our own newsletter, The Better Show Bits. And just like the podcast, it is a newsletter for people who want to get better. And here's how it works. Would you like to get a very short email each Friday? with a roundup of our best stuff that we found to get more out of life. That could include interesting new articles we found, stories of crazy experiments we're testing out ourselves, or my personal favorite, which is simply new products that we've discovered that you can try out. If you would like to receive this or just check it out, head on over to bettershow.io newsletter. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. All right, that's it. Let's get back to the show. The other thing I did, this was more recent. This was uh, probably in 2009, I think it was. I actually was thinking about starting a business. It was called agreener.com, and I still own the domain name. And the whole idea was, what is the carbon footprint of a single search on Google? And that was the idea. And what I, what, what I did was... Hold on, let I, me Google that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know what's funny is they've actually figured it out since then. So what I did was, there's a thing you can do called trace route. This is this is going to get geeky and technical. If you're if you're on the internet, some people have heard you can ping websites and it will tell you what the response time is for any particular website. So you ping amazon.com or something like that and it says, "Oh, it's, you know, 12 milliseconds response time." You can get really geeky and you can do something called a trace route which shows you where those little ones and zero bits in your internet request where they hop to. So in this case, like I'm in Seattle, so it would hop from my home to like the Comcast internet provider to another hub somewhere in Phoenix or wherever, and then three or four different times before it landed at the destination. And I thought, well, all these computers are running and they're consuming electricity. So every time I run a, a Google search, there's just a little puff of carbon that is getting emitted into the air through this trace route. And so I came up with this idea that what if, what if you could just map all of the traffic for your web browsing and then neutralize it through buying carbon credits. And so that was the mm. idea behind agreener.com 
and we went pretty far with it. We ended up not not going the whole route because we figured, you know, it, it's something Google could do. And in fact, Google right. did do it at some point. Mm. Um, right. uh, so we, we abandoned it. Yeah, yeah. That's but, cool. But it was, it was a good idea. I have the whole business plan and everything sitting on my hard drive. So you clearly care about this stuff. That's the, it's that's what very interesting to me because what's interesting to me about it is it's a hard problem because there's no personal incentives to do anything about it other than the fact that you just want to feel good. And I always felt like there should be an economic incentive to get people motivated. So hmm. that was my interest. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was going to bring this up earlier on the why does it matter. There's another angle to this, which I don't know if we mentioned, but uh, we typically you typically will see in the studies of the happiest places on earth that they are the places that are the cleanest, least polluted best Always. air quality mm-hmm. right like that's even a metric you see in the best places to live it's like well where is the right. best air quality and yeah, so yeah. i actually i think people are incentivized we do look at it and we do care and we do feel it right now like people want to live in places yeah. that don't feel super polluted and they want to live in places that you know have uh, lots of different you know uh animals out there to look at etc cetera, etc cetera. like giraffes so, and, uh, and if there frogs, was a place nearby jellies. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so interesting story there. I have a I have a friend that uh, spent some time in Shanghai for work. He spent two years over there, and when he came back, I bumped into him uh, coincidentally in Seattle, and I said, "Oh my God, man, how's it how's it's going? It's great to see you back." And I said, "You know, how is it going?" And he said, "Man, it's great, but I really miss the clean air." He goes, yep. "I just you cannot imagine the feeling of landing in Seattle and walking off the plane and just taking that first breath. It's remarkably different." Yeah. I was, I was yeah. fascinated to hear that. It was the first thing that came to his mind. So how about you, March? What what was your personal experience with uh, kind of being an earthly kind of human? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've had this problem, which is that I, I am often, and I have for a long time, felt really overwhelmed by the scale of the problem. Like, mm. it's just because it's so huge and it's, it's paralyzing, so global. Right? It is. It can, it can, and exactly, it can be very paralyzing. And sort of what I have worked on over the last few years is just one understanding what can I do that actually makes a difference and then mm. choosing to do that. And even if I am, you know, it's the same thing with like living in a large democracy, right? You sort of have to just say, well, this is what is within my realm of control and I'm going to, you know, do my research and vote my one vote and uh, hope that everybody else does the same thing. And uh, I think we can do a little bit more, which I guess is a little bit what we're doing with this podcast, which is as well as doing what we do, we can sort of educate and tell other people stories about the environment and why it matters. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just do the everyday stuff and, and you know, composting and recycling. And we, I don't know, I, one thing I'll mention later is that you can, in some places you can pay to make sure your your utility is, is uh, uh, using renewable energy instead of uh, mm-hmm. fossil fuel energy. I yeah. insulated my house after I did a little research and insulating your house actually uh like double the insulation uh is very effective for energy oh, consumption. Yeah. And then see you know, there's an economic point, incentive there. That's the that's uh, the yeah, the yeah. good thing, right? And uh yeah, we could talk about that a little bit with like Elon Musk and his solar roofs and stuff like that where mm. where he is he is very good at thinking about how do we do the right thing for the planet and align economic incentives around it. And uh, to your point Darren about Shanghai, I I was in Beijing and Shanghai uh, last month and mm-hmm. the air quality is just shockingly bad like yeah i i mean it's, it's sad it is it is and it's sort of like you know well a lot of people there either don't understand how bad it is for them to to breathe the quality of air that's there or they don't have a choice it's not like they can go somewhere else right that's where the 
all of the jobs are. And again, the sort of economic activity generating these things. And I'm sure you guys have talked about before the sort of externalities of like, you know, a business that can, you know, generate pollution in the case in in the course of making a profit, but doesn't have to pay for the pollution, right? And right. that's another exactly. way where we could we could potentially uh, get incentives going in the right way. But yeah, so I just you know I have I started off with you know we well, have to have a grandiose plan in order to solve such a huge problem. But I've sort of come back to well, I, I'm going to do my own individual things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and you so, do it because it feels good, right? It feels like you know what I want to make an impact. That's it's the one thing I can do. It's picking up the one piece of trash on the side of the road, or you know, as you're walking down the sidewalk. It's 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 not changing the world, but it's making one small step at a time. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think it's it does it makes me feel more aware and more connected of the world around me. Mm -hmm. um, how about you, Ian? So I take a little bit of a different approach to it, actually. Uh, so I I'm I'm pretty familiar with with what you're saying, I understand the the logic behind it, you know, do what you can in your sphere of influence. Hopefully more people do the exact same thing and it all adds up. What's interesting is I think that there's another angle to it. And it's the one that I kind of subscribe to, which is if you were to actually look at, you know, the data around what matters, you know, mm -hmm. what makes a dent in the, the global scale of the problem, the rate, the harsh reality is unfortunately at an individual level, we don't make much of a dent. And we aren't mm -hmm. in control of the actual biggest things that cause most of our issues. Like, you know, most of the carbon, I get my terms mixed up, if it's a carbon dioxide, right, mm -hmm. uh, is, is mm -hmm. from agriculture is the number one thing. It's, it's all the methane Cow gas coming flatulence. out from cows. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, to change the agriculture industry is super hard and it's, it's really, really tough and an individual is not going to be able to necessarily do it. There are things you can do to help promote alternatives, like don't eat meat, things like that. But I think there's an interesting alternative, and if you're listening, you could just ponder this. And I'll give a couple personal examples uh, of how I've done this in my life. It's where you could actually, let's say, uh, you know, you were listening to the podcast, and you're like, "Hey, I want to make the earth a better place. Let me do these three, five things in my life that can make the world better." My the other opinion, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying it's an alternative approach. Is don't do any of those things. So basically mm -hmm. the things that we may go talk about in our tips and tricks and hacks in a minute. Take the time that you would have put towards those things and do something that could actually, you know, scale up your impact, right? So gather a group of people that agree with you on a thing, start a Facebook group and start to try to change some laws in your town or try to write to your senators or go to the federal level or mm -hmm. boycott a business that is polluting, you know, like any million of things that you could do. Right, right, um, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is just to consider the kind of cost-benefit analysis of it and the, the, the return on investment of your time. That's the way I think about this. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of these things can become really, really time... What's the right word I want to use? They're, intensive? They're, they can yeah, intensive. Thank you. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, yeah, you can feel... Like it's a lot of... I, the the thing I do, I'm I'm very conscious of in this realm in this space is people do a lot of kind of pat on the back type activities. So yeah. it's like, good, I did my part. I'm done. The the game, like I I I'm checked out. Like I'm I'm recycling. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> it's right, like so right, yeah. so. What else is there? And it's like, well, you know, thank you for recycling. We appreciate it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not really going to mm -hmm. make a difference. If instead of walking that bottle to the recycling bin every time you had, you know, instead, you know, cycled your efforts around some kind of organizing movement of some sort, maybe that would have been a more impactful well, I'll tell thing. You, you know, I always, again, mm. I come back to the economics of it. I like 
voting with my dollars. You know, like if you take a look at the grocery stores today, you know, yeah. once upon a time, it was very, it was only Whole Foods that had any organic section. And then people started realizing like, hey, I really want, there's certain foods that I really want to be organic they, they because it matters. The pesticides are going into my body or whatever. Right. Now you go to any Safeway, Kroger, whatever, they've got a growing larger and larger section of organic produce. And it used to cost a lot more. And right now it doesn't cost that much more to get certain crops as organics. Um, yeah. I think, I, I love, I just, I think that's the most powerful thing. Yeah. Mm. And so, so personally for me, um, there's a couple instances where this has come about in my life. So I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up as one of these types of people, but ironically I keep like, so one of my college roommates was super into sustainability and green tech in particular. Right. And mm. so, uh, we ended up kind of, he, I mean, he was throughout my, my years at, at college, he was building a wind turbine that was solar powered and then it, it supported Wi-Fi networks on our campus. And oh, so that's like, cool. It was super cool. Um, That's just fun. It's fun stuff. And so it got me interested in the space. Quick fun story was we were walking around our campus. We both went to uh, RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology in uh, in Rochester, New York. A little shout out. Mm -hmm. It's a big college campus. It's a big tech school. And we noticed that at, you know, as college kids, we're walking around the campus late at night and all the lab computers were still on. And we were kind of shocked by this. We were like, as techie people were like, it's super easy to just put your computer to sleep. Right. And right. It's just heating up in there so they can cool yeah. it down with the air conditioning. Right. It, yeah. Not yet. That's a great point. We didn't even calculate that impact, but, uh, mm-hmm. but just to power the devices themselves was a lot of, uh, wasted money. So yeah. we ended up running this study. We, we contacted the board of the school and we said, Hey, we'd love to run a study where we just monitor how much energy is being used in the hours in which the labs are closed. So it's physically impossible for anybody to be in these rooms using the computers. We just want to know how much energy is be- being used. That's it. And then we actually added in a secondary study, which was just saying, okay, let's just for a couple of the labs, put them all in sleep at night and just see what the difference is in, mm. the, in the energy savings. Right, right. So we ended up doing this, and the sleep mode, when you put all the computers in the labs asleep, was a 66% decrease in power usage. Wow. Um, and that that's is crazy. That is the equivalent of 186 metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions, which is the same as if you burned over 20,000 gallons of gasoline. And Oh, my uh, God. Wow. To Darren's That's, like, point, hard to fathom in a way. It's like, oh, my God, I could never have guessed it was going to be that big. Right. And to your point, Darren, we put we said, okay, we're talking to the university. So we, we ended up doing this test like with the IT kind of uh, administrator folks, and they were super, you know, supportive. And we said we got to take these findings. Once they saw it, they're like, we have to take these findings to the board and like show the president and the you know we have a sustainability person uh, at the university. And so we're prepping for this meeting, and we realize, you know. I was also a business uh, minor, so I was like, I got to put this in dollars and cents for them. This is how they'll yeah, care. Absolutely. And right. so all right. we did was we took the current electricity rates for Rochester, and then we multiplied it out and figured out that's a it's it was a, a large gap because of the the swings in electrical costs at the time, but mm-hmm. it was between twenty and eighty thousand dollars annually for the for the school that it would save. Wow. And so it was this like massive. I mean, that's an entire tuition for a student, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, you could talk about what that what you could do with that, right? Yeah, exactly. So so that was one instance where, you know, instead of me, you know, maybe trying to do things at a more micro scale, I went macro with this and I tried to tackle a a kind of structural problem problem that I identified. I love it. Um, I love it. Another one. Super cool. 
Yeah, yeah it was super I, cool Kudos project. to you for like making it happen, you know, like going and doing it. It took a long time too because of the studies and we did it over like, you know, six weeks period. So then it went to multi- multiple semesters and et cetera. Mm-hmm. The other one real quick was actually I was in high school and I did a project on this piece of land that it basically was in, it was like in a weird piece of our city where the, uh, the, the neighboring town believed they owned part of it. And it was this like fight always about who owns mm. it and what to do with mm. it. It's a mm-hmm. weird backstory. But the, the, the cool angle of this was we realized that the town, the city could sell it to like somebody like Greenpeace or a third party like conservationist, uh, you know, nonprofit. And at that point, like it kind of is nobody's, right? So it was it resolved this conflict between the two towns. And at the same time, mm. they the the proposal we brought, and we actually proposed this to the mayor of my my hometown, Glens Falls, New York, they would take the money from the sale that they would give them, put it into a fund that would earn interest over time, and they could, you know, actually make money off of this long term. And and it was fairly lucrative. We did the, all the uh-huh. math on it. The and most so, powerful force in the universe, compounding. That's what I'm interest. talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so I, I've just done things like that and tried to identify issues that are more macro skills, and that's kind of how I've I've looked at this. But we should probably transition to our tips and tricks and hacks yeah. because yeah. I do agree. Probably both both micro and macro things are good to do. So yeah, no, I, uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm totally inspired by by what you just talked about. Um, yeah, what might be interesting for our listeners to think about is if we talk about sort of personal things that you could do. Uh, are there ways that you could think of that you could scale out, you know, the same issues, but yeah. uh, but scale it out as projects, whether we're talking about reducing carbon footprint or reducing water usage or, you know, being more responsible about your food? Are there ways that you could scale it up like Ian did? Um, I think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting way to to think about it as well as the personal yeah, totally. activity. Okay, mm-hmm. so where should we begin? Want to reduce some water usage? I think that's always a, a, a common one, and we've talked about yeah. the, the need for it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I'll I'll suggest a couple and then we can we can talk about them. A couple of them are just obvious, like washing your car less often um, mm. is it is an easy way just to to use a little bit less water. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think that one could do well, especially in rainy Seattle. It's a little easier for us. I actually the, had a question on this one, real quick. Yeah. So we do live in a rainy climate, and I always am annoyed how driving my car through the rain doesn't necessarily clean your car. and so i was thinking i I had this thought the other day (laughs) quite the opposite (laughs) can i pre can i like pre-clean my car with some spray and then the next time i drive it in the rain it just cleans it like is that a thing you you Uh, totally could you you know why interesting uh so you know water's uh okay what's the really short version of this yes but you you (laughs) need to you need to not use something that's oil-based you need to use like a something that basically is a spray-on detergent Okay, and mm-hmm. then it's fine if it dries on your car, but then the water will will basically turn it into soap and wash yes. away. Okay, Got the it. reason why it doesn't is that there's so like oil just leaving from like the road. this trail of bubbles in his That's head. Right. That's right. Right. Um, All right. Okay. Yeah, your car will foam up. Okay, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll dive deeper into that another time. Um, I yeah. think another big one though, th- and I I grew up in a a house where <laughs> this we were always watering our lawn. I think that's got to be a big one. Is is oh gosh, it, yeah, it totally is. Yeah, and I think both just generally in your garden, right? Having having climate appropriate plants is the way to go. And so if you live in a very dry climate, then you want to have those sort of desert plants. And if you live in a mm-hmm. wet climate, then then you, you sort of have a little bit more flexibility. But essentially watering uh your plants whether it's your lawn or whether it's 
uh, plants that don't belong in your climate is a very uh, uh, expensive way to maintain a garden. And in general, the sort of recommendation is is that if you can, you should get rid of your lawn because the particularly like standard turf is very thirsty and um, mm-hmm. also sort of doesn't really add anything back to the soil and that getting small sort of ground cover plants that, that will cover, give you that same thing, which is basically a sheet of green if that's what you want, uh, would yeah. be a much better way to do it. Um, There's a thing for the building codes around here in the Puget Sound called rain gardens. There's a they they're promoting the creation of rain gardens. So part of oh. the problem with with a lot of buildings is uh, you 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 cover the ground with concrete or asphalt or whatever, right, right. and it and it doesn't permeate through the ground. So you actually want that groundwater replenished with the rain. And so what you said, March is is correct. You know, planting environment appropriate plants. And making sure that you have permeable ground as opposed to just paving an entire you know, oh, yeah, yeah. lot it actually goes a long way as well. All right. That's very good. And okay. then the, the last one on that is that um, uh, making sure that you're buying water efficient appliances, uh, shower heads, things like that. So essentially, they're in the U.S. at least, there's like a Department of Energy rating that, that will say that you're, 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 you have high efficiency appliances, particularly washers and dishwashers Mm -hmm. and just make sure you get one of them they use they tend to use like two to three times less water than a non-high efficiency appliance uh Mm. and it's cheaper to use as well the the appliances is an easy one to do the toilets are not too bad the showers are pretty tough i've had a difficult time finding a shower that is up to first world standards that has got the the high efficiency (laughs) if we find one we're going to put that in the show notes i don't know if either of you guys have good experience with that I have I have found it easier with the with the bigger appliances than with the than the, with the appliances showers, for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Showers I just stopped. Sh- I just stopped doing them. Same thing it. as the lawn. Yeah, just get oh, rid of your like, lawn and get rid of showering. Yeah, like dry shampoo. They, we could put a link to that. In the yeah, that's true. Yeah. We'll just, we'll it just, is it is thing. true though. If you talk to older generations, they'll say that they used to bathe like every other day. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know it's not necessarily common today, but I'm just saying. Yeah. They lived, mm-hmm. they they survived. Maybe maybe there's an option there. Uh, <laughs> all right. What else can we do to reduce carbon footprint? That's another big one. So this is your stuff that's coming out from, you know, a lot, lot of times it's transportation, how you're powering your home, right. uh, the foods you mm-hmm. eat, the things like that. So wh- where would we start there, Mark? Well, I, I would think that um, first you kind of want to start with some awareness. And there's some great tools online. We'll put one in the show notes so that you can calculate your carbon footprint. It sort of gives you an estimate of how much carbon you're putting out into the atmosphere. Yeah, this was um, fun. We actually did it. We, we did, did it, this, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was the hog on that one. I just looked at yeah. the results from you guys. Ugh. Darren, quote unquote, won. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well it has there's a lot of air travel in there i think yeah. that's what kicked me yeah. over the over that's the right me, and me i think too. having the tesla actually helps me now right it, it does i would it does, say yes. i would say uh yeah so uh um i'm a, i'm just under 21 metric tons per year of carbon which is pretty much right on the money of of average for the u.s but 13 tons of it is air travel primarily mm-hmm. for business but a little bit for pleasure uh, I did put in my business travel as being, I feel accountable for that, even though technically, I suppose I could probably pretend, pretend that that wasn't my part of my footprint. It was part of Microsoft's footprint, but that didn't seem right yeah. to me. Yeah, I put my I put my business travel in there too. I was at 24 tons with about yeah, it's interesting. 12 and so a half the, to 13 for air. 
the average is U.S. is 20 tons uh-huh. uh, per person. U.K. is 10 tons. So they're literally half of the United States. That's right. And the world average is only four tons. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you really get a sense of kind of how out of whack the metrics are and, and, yeah. and how much opportunity there is, because it's not like I wouldn't I, I think it'd be hard to argue that the U.K. is like living half of good of a life. as No, a US no, person, I right? don't think so. Mm-hmm. No. And that and now, it is it, really it, shocking. It is fair. It, I, I have heard some people, uh, I've seen these stats argue before. It is fair to say that travel is a lot easier over there to mm-hmm. get to like a lot of common places because yeah. there's a lot more countries close together, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It's more dense too. The cities it's are more dense. dense. Yeah. There's a the whole thing. Yeah. But still, there's a lot of room for improvement there. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so what, what about transportation wise? Were you going to say something, March? Well, I was just going to say that you won uh, or, or oh, lost, yeah, that's lost true. the. Oh, the, yeah. Ian the, crushed the, it. The, carbon uh output race with 11.21 metric tons but i'm still more than the an average uk person i know but you're living in america while doing it so that's that's got to be worth exactly that's right and you you live three thousand miles away from your from your family right so that's there you go you're taking some there you're taking some flights yeah yeah Yeah. but that uh the tesla tesla's gonna help it's it's i'm earning back my my footprint yeah i'm, I'm reducing yeah, it true. i mean that's that's my new total so i don't i don't yeah. want to know what the old total was <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so how about so what are some tips that we can do for people that are driving most people have to drive at some point um yeah. what are some maybe alternatives or ways to reduce their footprint right and this um we'll do a we'll do an episode soon on commuting and so this will we'll talk a little bit this overlaps a little bit but uh, essentially if you could do anything other than drive a gasoline powered car on your own then you're going to make an improvement, right? Whether it's walking mm-hmm. yeah. or biking, whether it's carpooling, whether it's switching to an electric vehicle, uh, any of those things are going to make an improvement. Uh, one note, by the way, there's debate on on the internet mostly about whether electric cars are actually cleaner and better in terms of carbon output than gasoline cars. Because if you do can't full, hurt if you do a full cradle to grave analysis of like how much carbon is emitted yeah. in digging up the lithium for the batteries and everything, right? Which is a, probably the right way to think about it. Even then. If you add in all of the emissions in an electric vehicle, it's generally about has half the emissions of a conventional car over the course of its life. So it's definitely yeah. does yeah. make an improvement. Yeah, it, it can't hurt. Yeah. Flying. This one is really hard for me, actually, because I really Man, love there's traveling. Nothing, there's nothing to do with flying to it's, make it better, right? It's so rough, yeah. Um, about the Because only, you don't control so much of it. Exactly, yeah. About the only thing that I hadn't really thought about it in terms of the economics of it this way is if you have a choice and you can deal with it, you should definitely fly economy rather than business or first class for the, all the basically the same logic of why Dude, you that, should carpool. That is, that is recommending torture. I, yeah, I know. Well, and, and I only fly economy, so I can speak from a firsthand <laughs> knowledge of the experience. Um, but it just so is. So can, you just, can you just explain, people. though? Uh, I think to some people listening to this, that might sound counterintuitive because you're on the same airplane yeah. You're going the same yeah. distance. You're burning the same amount of fuel. What? Why does it matter where on the plane I sit? Yeah, why not upgrade? Well, a, a part of it is just about the economics of the amount of fuel that is being spent on you is the same if you're in economy or if you're in business class. But if you're in business class, the proportion of the airplane, the plane oh. uh, is uh, is larger, right? Because you're, you're you're being less you efficient go. with your with your vehicle. Basically. That's right. You're taking That's up right. more space. Yeah. You're taking up more space where they could have put in four uh, economy class seats. Got it. So basically, um, you're affecting demand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if we all it's flew economy, then dollars. they would just they would just stop putting 
business class mm-hmm. in there. But, you know, I, I love to travel. My family lives primarily in Ireland. And so it's very hard to walk away from what is the sort of miracle of get from any place on the planet to any other place on the planet in 24 hours or less. Uh, here's what here's what I is, would say because I, I felt the same way as you guys when I when I saw the flying one. It's like you feel helpless. Like what can you do? I think there actually is things you can do. Are there are things you can do? English mm-hmm. is fun, it's, uh, <laughs> and it's supporting alternative uh, modes of transportation in this kind of realm. And so you know we've talked about it on the Tesla episode. This is a guy named Elon Musk, and uh, there are others out there, but they're trying to work on new modes of transportation that can go very fast over long distances. And that could be mm-hmm. something like that already exists over in Japan, like high speed rail. Uh-huh. Uh, but it could be crazy new things that he's he's tr- and hi- other people are trying to do, like the Hyperloop or underground you know, tunnels. And obviously, I'm not suggesting as an average listener that you're going to go out and like start one of those companies. But it could be as simple as go read up tonight on what those companies are doing. Talk about it at work with a bunch of people that are smart like you. And then all of a sudden, like this becomes a little bit more normal and it, it magical things can happen when things become more mm. normal and become in our vernacular. That's the kind of way I look at it. So I think that's good. You could even go a little bit further and invest in one of those companies, right? That is true. That is yeah. true. Oh, there yes. you go. But I will say if you don't have to fly, like if you're flying for like, say, a meeting or something, seriously consider whether Skype is going to do the trick. Um, yep. Because, mm-hmm. you know, flying for one-on-one meetings is probably like the worst possible thing that you could that you could do in terms of the return on on your investment and the mm-hmm. and the and the pollution that's going to come out of the airplane. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. So how on. about how about the home? I mean, we, we spend so much time there. Yeah. A lot of our I think our our carbon dioxide is emitted. There's some from easy there. ones for the home though. The the, the home ones are, are fairly straightforward, right? I mean like yeah. LED bulbs is one that we're we'll, yeah. we'll talk about. Yeah, absolutely. LED bulbs, you don't give up anything for switching to LED. Yeah. And those suckers are crazy efficient. In fact, right? and, and they, and you, they last they so much longer. You you're gonna oh, have to yeah. like change them much less often. Yeah. It's a Oh win-win. yeah, they're gonna last bef- they're gonna last longer than you. Like mm-hmm. you, you can you gotta include the LED bulbs in your will. <laughs> because somebody's gonna get them, right? Somebody's gonna get them. What are That's they gonna, gonna do be them? a quote. That's a quote right there. It's <laughs> good. Uh, so, uh, t- March, talk about the insulating your house thing, because you you had mentioned that you did that, and yeah, I, I think that's super interesting. So, so we bought the house that we live in now about three years ago, and they mentioned that it was had the minimum amount of insulation, and I'd never really thought about the fact that there was a minimum amount of insulation. I thought your house was just insulated, like a standard to code or whatever. It's but binary. It, mm. It's like it either is or uh, yeah, it isn't. I, I just yeah. had never really thought about it. And what I discovered was, particularly like our house has this crawl space attic area. And this makes it so obvious when you think about it, but it just never occurred to me, is you can just put more insulation in it. And the more mm. insulation that you put in, uh, particularly on your roof, the less energy that you're going to lose. And it doesn't matter whether you're heating your house or cooling your house. It's going to mm-hmm. uh, it's going to keep it at that temperature. So we just there's had a someone... curve though. It does diminish after a point of time, but you can there add is. a lot before totally, it becomes yeah. to that. Totally, um, yeah, yeah. And so we just had someone come in and they just blow the insulation in, you know, like with the with the hose, mm-hmm. and he just we just said fill her up, just like put it uh, as much as you possibly we can did, fit in there. We did that this year. We've been slowly. We have a house that was uninsulated. It's from the nineteen oh, twenties, yeah. oh, right. and we've been insulating. At, you know, as often yeah. as we can, anytime we open up a wall or, yeah. you know, we actually did the, 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 the attic last, our, uh, last year. So we just did it before the winter and our heating bill was one fifth of what it was the previous year. Whoa. It was that insane. Is incredible. It was insane. That's amazing. 
Uh, we haven't now, noticed that big of a change, but yeah. wow, that's incredible. Well, I think it was the, really cool. I think it was the only place that we were leaking heat, right? Because we've got all modern double glazing windows there you go. and tight fitting windows and doors and everything. So the only thing that was left was the roof. Was it? Yeah, was that, the heat rising. that's. That's I like some of the other things we have in our list, by the way. So there's th things like having a programmable thermostat. Mm -hmm. um, that's and, a and good one. That's a pretty easy one, that's, too. That's the cheap. house equivalent of what you did in college, Ian. That's what I was oh, thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, and I was thinking, like, you can even do that now for a lot of the, the lights, right? Like, you can have um, automatic sensors. We have that at mm -hmm. our workplace. So, like, lights just, you don't mm -hmm. forget to leave them on. And, oh, motion to sensors turn it off. or whatever. Yeah, motion yeah. sensors, mm -hmm. all that. So I like using like the technology aspect to actually yeah. make things more efficient. Yeah. One, mm -hmm. uh, two more in the home one and then we'll move on. I, uh, so we've all been sort of indoctrinated to the idea of recycling, right? And everything goes in the blue bin. And I think yep. in general, that's good. Although you, once you get into the economics of each of those individual products that you're recycling, the, it, it's very variable, right? Like it's really good to recycle aluminum because it's very expensive in terms of energy to get new to aluminum mine. out of it. And then, yeah. the, then you have to do electrolysis to get out of bauxite. So mm -hmm. recycling aluminum is great. A whole bunch of the plastics are very mixed about whether they can actually be properly reclaimed. Same with paper. Uh, it's not, I'm not saying you should. Glass is pretty good, right? Glass is great because um, it lowers the melting point of new glass if you have if you seed it with, oh. with existing glass. Who knew? So it, oh, it reduces the temperature cool. by about 600 degrees. And by the way, this has always been obvious to me, Darren, again, economic incentives, because glass, my, my glass and aluminum bottles, uh, plastic as well, yes. are the ones that I actually get paid for to return, right? So I knew mm. there was some value yeah. going yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Nobody pays me to go recycle paper. Yep. You know? It's a great true. Seinfeld episode on that. You know, um, driving over state lines to get the ten cent. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Reclaimed. But so, yeah. so the the last thing just about recycling is that twenty nine percent of all greenhouse gases come from what's called a provision of goods, which is basically all of the energy costs to get stuff from natural resources like trees and mines to you have you know an iPhone in your hand, and mm -hmm. that includes all the transportation of that around the world. And so every time that you're able to recycle one of those materials, you're reducing this like which is close to a third of all the greenhouse gases. So you can really make a mm -hmm. you can make a difference there. And then the last one, which it's not available everywhere, but a lot of electricity utility providers uh, give you the option to pay a little bit more, pay a premium on your bill so that they can buy uh, renewable sources, green sources of electricity. Puget Sound Energy in our area does that. You basically pay an extra $10 mm -hmm. a month, and uh, that that offsets the cost difference for them between generating electricity through coal versus through hydro or through wind. Um, yeah, and then, it's like buying and, organic. Same thing. You're, giving a, you're, you're creating a market for that renewable energy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. and some, some weeks, the hydro is actually, in our area, is cheaper than burning coal, but the weeks that it isn't is really what you're paying for. You're paying for about mm. that, that fluctuating electricity prices uh, to always yeah. make sure it's coming from a green source. All right. Let's wrap up with maybe the most important, one of the most important topics, which is food. Mm -hmm. You had mm. a good stat here, March. It's 19% of greenhouse gases. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, uh, and we, actually, that's 19% of all greenhouse gases. Think. But methane, which is a lot of what comes out of food production is 10 times more powerful as greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So it's actually even more in terms of the impact on the climate. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize exactly. it was that big of a deal, methane versus carbon dioxide. Yes, yeah, it's, it's wow. huge. Yeah. I think I'll have a salad tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll feel good about a it. A salad that was not flown <laughs> from Latin America. 
Right. Right. No, right. no exotic Which is our first tip. Yeah. <laughs> our first tip is eat local and yeah. seasonal. Yes. There you go. I have, and, and I will say that's true, and I'll give you an example, right? Asparagus is the most carbon-heavy vegetable in the U.S. because it's all grown in uh, Central mm-hmm. and South America, and it's flown here on an airplane the day it's been cut, and then you eat it the next day. Uh, so mm-hmm. asparagus is pretty rough. I'm torn about this because we live in Seattle, right? Which has got this just incredibly Mm -hmm. lush urban or sorry, uh, kind of farm and rural areas and huge variety of food. California is the same. Florida is the same. Good stuff. Just lots of, you know, New Jersey. All of these places have really great and rich local foods. And you could totally eat a huge variety of food locally and seasonally there. There's parts of the country and parts of the world where that just isn't true. Yeah. And the global food chain has actually really helped provide nutritious and varied foods to a lot of places that otherwise wouldn't really have it. And so I definitely think if 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 you have the option to eat local and seasonal, then you should do that because it's definitely better than putting your tomatoes mm-hmm. on an airplane. But but I don't want to advocate that because it's a it's a luxury rather than a I think an an obligation. Right. I think yeah. it's about you know, I think I think it comes down to anything else. It's like do what you can within appropriate moderation, right? Yeah. Like Make yeah. an effort, but be reasonable about it. Like it, people can do what they can do. In some areas, they can do they can do more. In some areas, they can do different things and do less. You know, that's right. Yeah, I mean, an easy way to start with the food one is just eat less meat and more dairy, or less meat and more less dairy. dairy. Oh, sorry, less oh, dairy. Yeah. That's what yes. I meant to say. Less yes. of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's painful. I'm gonna pass for me on as, this. As as I, you, I think that was a, a Freudian slip. Somebody wants cheese. <laughs> Um, somebody uh, wants cheese oh yeah no I this is hard for it it is true just the reality of it is true is that you know of I mentioned asparagus as being you know a carbon heavy food on the top 10 most carbon heavy foods asparagus is the only vegetable and the other nine things are meat and dairy products with cows yeah, being I would have thought like fruits and flowers and stuff might have been no, in there because you no. got to fly a lot of those in. Too, you got to fly but, them, but yeah. but uh, growing a cow is a uh, is an incredibly it's kind of a big deal process. Yeah, yeah, it takes um, a while. So and that's hard for me because I'm the keto dude, right? So so uh, yes, less meat and less dairy. Uh, maybe I'll just fast. That's I'll solve my problem by fasting twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> So what would you recommend as kind of your biggest food tip at the end of the day? All right. The, my biggest one here is all about food waste. So I think we've probably all experienced this thing of like you bought that thing at the supermarket thinking you were going to mm. make something oh, with it and it worst. just sat in your fridge until it turned into a weird liquid in a bag and you threw it away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So more than a third of all food ever produced in the world is is wasted or spoiled. Now, go back to our beginning where we were talking about not enough arable land, not enough drinking water. Can you imagine if we were able to just not waste all of that food, We our, our food problems would be solved up until it you is know, pretty 10 crazy billion people. That that's it's insane. That much. So, yeah, uh, that's a and, lot of waste. And I talked about methane and how it's 10 times more powerful as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So organic matter in landfills provides 20% of all that methane emissions. So rotting food in landfills emits 20% of all the methane emissions uh, in the world. So, so so how does that compare to like composting? Because that's effectively yeah, a landfill, so, right? So yeah, um, composting does emit methane. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Um, so you should, composting is fine, but you should try not to compost your food. Uh, if you're composting your food, then you're, you're not shopping realistically, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. 
Um, so, All right. So super fast things you could do. You can just plan your meals. Uh, know what you're going to buy before you go to the grocery store. Be realistic about what you're going to eat. Um, save and eat your leftovers. If you do find yourself with extra food, send it to a food bank or something like that. And then uh, super quick hack storing food in the right place you might be surprised like whoa i thought i only bought that two days ago and it went rotten there's certain fruits and vegetables that release a chemical called ethylene that accelerates the mm. rotting process in other vegetables we'll put a link in the show notes. apples are one of those things apples yeah. are one of them absolutely yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh one thing i didn't know this tomatoes should be kept at room temperature because they rot in the fridge incredibly Definitely. quickly the quality goes down that's when right, you put yeah. in the fridge. So if you're yeah, wondering yeah. why some of your fruits or vegetables don't seem to be lasting all that long, it could be because you have them in the wrong place, and you can. we'll put a link in the show notes to figuing that out. Cool. Well, the way to do it is if you buy them in the refrigerated section in the grocery store, put them in your refrigerator at home. If they're outside of the refrigerated section of the grocery store, leave them outside at home. Uh, you know? Makes yeah. sense. I like yeah. that rule. I like that rule. Yeah. All right, so let's finish up with our experiments that we're going to report back on. I think we had a lot of interesting things on this one, so I'm curious what you guys are taking away as your as your top ones to go out and try. March, you you mentioned a carbon offset. What what is this? Basically, what this is 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 you know, and again, it's it's a way to think about the problem globally rather than locally, which is you can essentially buy a carbon offset, which is you donating some of your money to some green project, and whether it's capturing you know there's projects all around the world it actually doesn't matter where in the world your carbon offset is happening because it's you know we only have one atmosphere and so there's one that that we'll put a link to it in in one in the show notes but there's a place called terrapass.com and they fund projects basically they they create a fund from donations and then they fund projects like methane landfill capture renewable energy generation forest management basically any way to capture carbon or to generate energy in a way that doesn't use carbon uh, and you can just sort of throw some money at the problem. That's really interesting. So I'm going to yeah. research that, and then I'm going to I'm going to buy a carbon offset. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, how it's about cool. how I've about you, Mr. Darren? Uh, I'm going to keep doing what we're doing. We are insulating the house one project at a time. We've got most of it done. I bet we probably got a good seventy percent of the house insulated, and we're replacing the windows. So I'm going to keep doing that, and probably look at maybe eating a little less meat. Actually, this conversation has been sort of interesting because the methane thing about how much more impactful mm-hmm. it is versus CO2 yeah. kind of kind of landed on me. Uh, so I might eat a little less meat, maybe go for one more salad. It's, I could use it anyway, honestly. I love it. What about you? Yeah, what are you I, doing? I'm the same way. So I, I had known that stat about the methane and the agriculture being kind of the unsung enemy instead of hero of, of mm. kind of our, our uh, environmental woes. And it's such a tr- difficult problem. I've watched a bunch of documentaries. It's such a difficult problem because the agriculture inter- industry is so powerful and it's so hard to change. So I'm kind of taking Darren's recommendation and voting with my dollars and changing my habits. So my experiment's going to be eating a lot less meat and then kind of with my dollars promoting meat alternatives to signal to a lot of places that, you know, there's demand for these things. One of them that I've actually tried, you can go pick it up at places like Whole Foods and others, is a thing called Beyond Burger. And this thing's super cool. So it's, it's, you'll find it in the refrigerated section. 
and it's just it's they put it right next to the meats and they even package it just like it's it's meat. Uh, is this the veggie and burger it that is actually a veggie bleeds? burger that actually bleeds so as you cook it it will actually kind of bleed out and it, it tastes very similar to a burger wow. it cooks up and smells like a burger so i think these guys are smart because what they're realizing is the average mm-hmm. person doesn't want to eat a weirdo vegan thing they want the rituals and they want the kind of sentimental like feelings that you get when you cook a burger on the grill and you have all the sizzling and the blood and da 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 da. So mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we'll figure out how to make you feel like you're eating the exact same thing, but it it doesn't have an ounce of meat in it. So it's a it's a cool solution. So Very interesting. Uh, promoting things like that. So yeah, mm, I'll give Very that a cool. try. We should Very try good. that on a on a future episode and do our reviews, just like we did Ooh, with the chocolate that time. I would I would yeah, taste, let's taste test a Beyond it. Burger. Yeah. You know, that's perfect timing because I was going to wrap up this episode by saying we've been doing this uh, for, I don't know, six to eight months now. And I believe this is the first episode we've recorded. If It may be our very early episodes, but it was light out when we started. (laughs) And so the days are getting longer and spring and summer is coming and we should do a better show barbecue. That is is what we should do. Ooh, with a beyond barbecue. Yeah, exactly. That's a great idea. All right, guys. Let's wrap this guy up. And uh, if you have any feedback for us or want to get in touch with us, you can do so on our socials. We are at The Better Show. And if you want to go check out the website where we have all of our episodes and show notes listed, you can just go to bettershow.io. And Darren, what is the number one thing people can do to help out the show? Oh, we want you to rate us on iTunes with a five-star review telling us how much you absolutely love The Better Show. If you happen to know somebody that would also kind of like it, maybe mention it to them too. Maybe have them tune in and maybe ask them to leave a five-star review. Totally helps uh, other people find us. And so big, big help. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right, guys, let's wrap this up for The Better Show. I'm Ian McAtel. I'm Darren Austin. And I'm March Rogers. And we will see you next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to The Better Show. Three quick notes before we go. Number one, we really hope what you heard today can help you on your journey to getting better. And if it did, it'd mean the world to us if you could head on over to iTunes or wherever you found the show and leave a review. This is one of the best ways to help grow the show and ultimately the community that we're trying to build together. Number two, for links to anything you heard in today's episode, just head on over to bettershow.io. While you're there, Sign up for our Better Show newsletter, where each week we send a summary of the latest tips, tricks, and hacks, and cool articles that we've come across in our journey to getting better. And finally, number three, join the conversation and let us know how you're getting better. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just search The Better Show. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.